to the Cinematologist Podcast 2023 Year End Review. In this episode, Neil and Dario discuss five films each that they found memorable and meaningful over the past year. give a couple of honourable mentions and go in depth on three films each that were released theatrically in 2023. To find out what they discussed you'll have to listen to the episode or check out the show notes. But for now on with the show. Welcome to the Cinematologist Podcast. I'm Neil Fox, and joining me, as always, I'm delighted to say, is Dario Linares. Hello, Dario. Hey, Neil. How are you doing? Merry Christmas, or just after Christmas for for everyone who's listening to this. Well, there are 12 days of Christmas, so whenever this lands, which will be in the middle bit, it will still be Christmas. Um, the, ha- the hangover bit, be, be that food, socialising, drink, whatever the hangover is that you're suffering from, this will be a tonic, hopefully, for that period. But yes, how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, I've got the uh, day off today. I sort of took one day early on leave, but I've got a, a quite a big job to do before I uh, I completely sign off. I'm I'm examining a PhD sort of remotely, so I've got to finish off kind of reading that and giving the report in. So yeah, I've set myself again. Done that that wonderful thing where you kind of agree to do something in all in all good faith, and then it comes to the time you're like, oh my god, I've got, I've got to spend the whole weekend doing that before I. I get a break, but yeah, I'm okay apart from that. How about you? Yeah, pretty good, have to say. Exhausted. Um, the kids are off school and childcare, so it's absolute carnage as we record this, but um, it's lovely. And I'm actually looking forward to, yeah, kind of spending a little bit of quiet time over the holiday period and managed to get most of the stuff off my desk, actually all the stuff off my desk that I wanted to. So feeling in a pretty good place um, and looking forward to some some festive cheer, but uh, I have to say it's nice to be, yeah, talking to you again so soon after the last time as we kind of do our our own take on reflecting on the year in film 2023. Yeah, looking forward to it. I mean, again, you know, for those of you who listened to our last episode, we were sort of talking quite a bit about the apathy of new releases and it kind of also bled into a conversation about end of year lists and positioning yourself in the landscape, but... It's funny, I was I was reflecting last night about, you know, sort of what to say as, as a, a lead into this, but I think this year we've been less and less influenced, let's say, by what you might call the discourse, you know, whether that's on social media or sort of general conversations. I mean, we, we did the sort of Berlin thing and we did, we did uh, London again, but we didn't really talk an awful lot, say, about Barbenheimer, 
and its implications potentially for you know a return to kind of cinema going as a as a, a sort of um a cultural thing to do you know yeah. obviously there's so many conversations about how wh where the place of cinema going is and you know we didn't really talk too much about killers of the flower moon which was obviously another polemic thing and really we didn't go into that much detail about the the, the strikes and you know the sort of future of, of the industry of writing really and the impact of ai i mean i guess probably that's just never going to go away so it will come up at, at, at some point but yeah, an interesting one. I've tried to, to to sort of think about what the year has meant for us on the podcast, and it's been a it's been a tricky one, really. Yeah, I think that is, I think that's true. There is that, you know, even even like take something like the London Film Festival. The films that we saw and talked about were not the, not the the highline films necessarily. I think you saw a couple of the, you know, the, the sort of the talked about ones, but but we didn't really go out for trying to get you know uh, kind of an opinion all of, all of the all of the big sort of fall yeah autumn premieres so i think yeah even there we've kind of skirted around everything but i have to say because of that when i looked back when i sort of looked at the films i'd seen this year that were released this year i felt like i'd even though there's way less on that list of films that i've seen and liked that were released this year than than previous years which obviously we covered on the last episode i have a greater affinity i think for for sort of 10 or 12 of them than i probably would normally i think i've you know they've just sat with me more because i've not filled in that space with more and more stuff so you know the the films i'm going to talk about today it was i didn't have to do any you know sort of i'll just use the word regurgitation which is a not a very nice word um of thought you know a lot of the yeah. feelings and all things i wanted to talk about we just sat there and i just think there's more space in my head which i'm very grateful for at this time of the year to be like okay that's that felt like a really really kind of healthy approach i guess to the year and still feeling like that there's there's a lot to really admire and love and talk about as we sort of move into the next one yeah i think that's i think that's a, a good a good point i mean i don't know whether i feel quite the same in terms of that there's there's a sort of tranche of films that i'm like yeah i'm totally have seeped into my soul let's say but the ones I'm going to talk about, you know, I I really loved, and I've I've taken I've taken sort of a, a mm. couple that stayed with me from really early in the year, and then one from very recently. So as my sort of three main ones that I'm going to talk about. But it's funny then that I think there was a whole sort of middle middle sort of part of the year where where I'd kind of I mean I thought I talked about it a little bit last week. There was a sort of lull in my motivation to 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 sort of go and watch films, and it wasn't and it was a sort of wasn't a really a, a a lull in the, in the sort of act of watching. It was a, a lull in that kind of like, oh, well, what does this mean? You know, how can I place this? What do I want to say about it? It was a sort of, you know, there was a bit of a kind of, well, who, you know, who cares what I say anyway? So, you know, and 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 to be honest with you, I think it, it's come it's come back again, sort of full circle. When the last couple of episodes, it's been good to to talk to you, and really, you know, that that's the essence of what we're what really we're we're doing here, isn't it? Where it's just me and you. You know, talking about films, and if people want to listen, that's that's fine, that's great, that's up to them. And I think also, you know, just sort of even the the, the balance between the conversations that we have, and then the other the other people we have on, and the other areas we go into on the on the podcast. It's I'm always kind of now thinking through, you know, what I want to do in that in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing is, it's you know, you either 
and this can sound really pretentious and I don't mean it as, as, as grandiose as this, but you either try and enter the flow of a discourse or you, you, you create your own, you know? And I think one of the things we have done on this podcast, which I think is why we've got a, a listenership that is engaged in the way that they are, is that we have to some extent created our own, we have our own conversations about this stuff, you know, and the messages I get certainly are appreciative of the fact that we're talking about different types of films or we're talking about them in a different kind of way. So yeah. And I think stepping out of that flow has definitely been been beneficial to me. And hopefully will be there'll be some films today that will sort of introduce or reintroduce, I think, to to people in terms of things they might have missed or yeah, things that have been out for a while that aren't there's just nowhere in the conversation at you know, at the end of year because they're not up for any kind of Oscar um or they're not they're not near the top of the best list because they didn't necessarily play festivals this year or any festivals at all in some case yeah i mean th- th- that's the other thing to say i think is that the um there's a lot of films that i've seen and the ones at berlin and, and london um that are not out yet and they probably would have been I, I, might, I might have had a completely different list to be honest with you if if i'd have sort of stuck with films that i'd just seen and instead of yeah ones that are kept to ones that were uk releases in 2023 and i think about it next year i mean i might i like that idea of of approaching film watching in a different way i might even just focus on films that i've seen at the cinema rather than streaming and just sort of go in that direction or even do what um i think you were mentioning somebody who did did that you talked about where it was just new, new films that were new to them mm. and they're not necessarily new films which I, I like that idea as well so i might i might sort of as a as a you know as a cliched new year's resolution or new approach to watching just to kind of think oh actually how can i you know how can i organize the bombardment of everything i'm yeah. just going to do it in this way for this year um and you know in terms of think you know i think it's not as if there's rules to to watching anything but but in, just in terms of okay i'm going to kind of concern myself with thinking through and writing about these kinds of films and and then you know podcasting about them as uh, as well but um yeah yeah do you want shall we do our Honourable mentions first. I mean, what 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 we're going to do is we've got a couple of films each, which I think you know we're just going to briefly mention, and then we'll go on to sort of top top three each that we'll go into in a bit more depth. Yep, that sounds good. Yeah, so they are. I guess it's honourable mentions probably a, a weird phrase, isn't it? Because there aren't. I guess it's just a level of depth in terms of things to focus on. Because I wouldn't. I've tried not to rank. <laughs> You know, although I I do have a clear favourite film this year, but I've, yeah, so it's kind of like, but then how else to? I don't really know how else to say, it, like, because we're not going, I'm not going to talk as much about these two films, but sure. these were two films I wanted to mention because I think, well, for for for, for different reasons, what really like, so I didn't include any films that I saw at festivals last year that released yeah. this year in any kind of reflection. So, um, Ennis Main and and One Fine Morning were last year films for me. You know, our good friend Mark also made an, well, he made two films this year, two shorts, and one of them was for the BFI's film on film season, um, and it's called A Dog Called Discord, um, which is, and, and the reason I've picked these, the two films I'm going to talk about together, because the other film is uh, Christine Malloy and Joe Lawler's The Future Tense, which is on Mubi, and, and, and Mark's film is on uh, BFI player for free, actually, you don't even need to be a subscriber, is that, yeah, just two really beautiful examples of kind of personal filmmaking that uh, is not kind of solipsistic and kind of yeah sort of gratuitous but really kind of 
critically engaged with the why of of of, of the art that the, the that the filmmakers make and i think that you know visually and aesthetically they're very different the dog called discord is kind of marked looking into his own relationship with celluloid um and and celluloid filmmaking and his love of celluloid uh, in a really beautiful short that was yeah kind of just a a kind of mystery uh, a mystery movie really um as he sort of tries to work out what's on this kind of undeveloped role of film and then track down a dog <laughs> and the owners of the dog um the dog that appears in the film and it's just so beautiful i think it's it's one of my favorite things he's done it's yeah kind of just really just just really fun and engaging and and on a, on another note the future tense is is christine and joe sort of analyzing their own irishness analyzing their kind of conflicted relationship to britishness because they have a a daughter sort of born here they live in london they've lived here for a long time and it's sort of a post brexit kind of soul searching in terms of where are they you know that kind of liminal space for a lot of people who move you know no longer at home and and no home in the new place but it's never a kind of maudlin you know woe is us kind of thing it's a really it's really funny and it also kind of encompasses their own relationship to the to how they make films and why they make films and it's there's this there's a lovely commentary on it throughout in terms of them reflecting on the making of this film as 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 we're kind of watching it and both the films reminded me of a quote that i read i think it was earlier this year maybe it was late last year which was kent jones writing about goddard when goddard died so it must have been last year um and he quotes wallace stevens who said that the subject of the poem is always the poem um and you know and kent jones says and the same could be said of cinema like you know the cinema always the subject of cinema that it always returns to is the cinema itself and i've just become more and more sort of obsessed by that quote but also the idea of seeing the cinema in things um you know and and watching stuff and feeling like you're in the hands of filmmakers who are very aware that you're watching a film and are interested in your experience of watching the film while they're also kind of working through either a narrative or non-fiction um kind of story uh, or, or set of ideas and both those films for me this year were just really beautiful examples of that where the filmmakers want are aware that you're watching a film and they want you to enjoy that aspect of it as well as and obviously you know it seems kind of obvious but so much of what those films are about be that nostalgia or kind of you know personal practice or people's place in the world a family um kind of past relationships it just it all comes out in such an interesting way when it's handled with such dexterity so those were my two if you haven't seen them check them out they're both kind of readily available and they're both just absolutely wonderful wonderful films we're flying from Stansted to Dublin it's a journey we've done a lot over the years it immediately brings me back to when we got on a ferry and left Ireland for Britain do I mean Britain or do I mean Great Britain or the UK this confusing mix of terms is a reminder of something difficult a colonial past a reminder of atrocities messy over the past few years, our feelings about England have changed. Its roads, parks, monuments no longer feel innocuous. Can you place a feeling on a country? Shit. We're about to land.
what about you? Yeah, great choices there. Um, it's interesting because I think that there is a connecting point here and maybe we can sort of expand a little bit on this idea of of filmmakers making personal films. And what's, what's interesting is that I think that there are, so, obviously there are different brackets of that. And I think that those two films you've chosen there are, you know, are sort of deeply personal in the in the sort of experiential sense. And then there are politics that tie into that. And then there are other films that are more, you know, they're personal, but they're expressly p- political because it, it's in a given situation, an immediate event or problem or set of circumstances that's going on in the world right now and then i think more and more you know you get you get the these films that are big films big sort of big ticket films that are made by people who talk about them as if they're deeply personal i mean just the the one that sort of springs to mind is maestro which i saw at at the um london film festival which you know as far as it goes I, i haven't got really any problems with but it really is a sort of um tick box of you know biopic by the numbers stuff even though it's really it's really well done and i think that there is a you know that there's a real sort of self-regard i mean i quite like bradley cooper but that that sort of sense of placing himself in these roles as maestro kind of thing i think there's a sort of double meaning there that maybe is, is quite you know problematic and that there's just watching a film like that and then returning, you know, and then thinking about something like the future tense, the sort of level of phoniness of a lot of big Hollywood stuff just just it doesn't it doesn't work with me anymore in a way. Um and but just to link to to a couple of films then that that kind of speak to what you're talking about. So my first sort of mention is My Imaginary Country, which is Patricio Guzman's latest documentary. I don't know whether it's gonna be his last film i haven't actually checked out if he's making um anything but you know this is a guy that's been documenting the socio-politics of chile for 50 years and he's his this, this film is a sort of elegiac reportage of a women-led chilean demonstration that took place in 2019 um and it, w- it was triggered by something as as banal as a as a price increase on the subway um and that led to you know huge demonstrations and demands for social democracy education healthcare jobs all of that all of that stuff and you know a lot of it goes back to the um the history of 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 chile but he doesn't sort of return to that and and give it that wider context because i think he's probably accepted the fact that every anybody who knows his films knows that he's sort of you know, covered that quite a lot, but I really enjoyed this because it, it, it the voiceover was almost a sort of resignation to the fact that he's gotten older now and he's still fighting the same battle, but he hasn't got the energy anymore. And it's almost a kind of change from his poetic philosophy that you'll see in Nostalgia for the Light, which is my favorite film of his, which has given more to this, given way to this more sort of prosaic more kind of observation of look at what the young people are doing now they're still fighting particularly that you know the the, the, this sort of women-led activism which 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 sort of places more of the onus on the fact that that the you know the 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 lack of kind of democratic accountability or democratic structure um was very much kind of patriarchal in that in that sense um 
But it's amazing to look at as well. Some incredible aerial shots and what you might call sort of documentary action sequences, which are sort of caught on the fly. And the reason I sort of wanted to mention this was because I saw just the other day uh, 20 Days in Mariupol, which is obviously the 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 sort of observational documentary set in the Ukraine. And that should be on everybody's list, basically, because it's scene after scene of dev- devastating imagery that we haven't seen a lot of, I don't think, you know, in the coverage of, of the Ukraine war. And just the sort of incredible bravery of the doctors and, and nurses and, the, you know, the, obviously the, the harrowing, you know, unflinching camera showing people sort of, you know, being operated on with, with you know, equipment that, that, that is around and about that, that they can find. And obviously the bravery of the of the journalists who decided to stay when they're getting bombed. Um, and, and I think that this is perhaps, you know, a more urgent documentary than the Guzman one. But I, think, I just think, you know, they're both of a piece in terms of that kind of um, political reportage um, doc. So both of those are, are worth seeing. Then the other the other film that I just wanted to mention just quickly was one I saw back in, in Berlin, which was called Samsara, directed by Lois Patino. And it's I, I, I talked about it in the Berlin episode, but it's these it's it's set in Laos and at the beginning anyway. And it's these teenagers are all kind of living, studying together in a Buddhist temple. And and one of them just it, it just shows one of them crossing the, a river every day to read a text to uh, an, an elderly woman who's kind of um, on her deathbed, as it were. And he's trying to help her find but he's almost kind of like the guide of finding her way to the afterlife because obviously sort of you know this sort of uh buddhist uh context in terms of what comes after death but then when the woman actually does die the film sort of structurally changes and there's this moment where a text on screen i mean i was watching this in the auditorium obviously in berlin and the text comes on screen saying please close your eyes and now join in this journey to the afterlife. And it becomes a kind of 2000, end of 2001 sort of light show with your eyes closed and that these flashing lights going on for about 20 minutes. And it's really kind of effective. It has this sort of, you know, real hallucinatory or mindful or, or you know, taking you to a sort of another place effect. And I really did think it worked. If you, you know, I, I can imagine people in the audience going, well, this is bullshit. You know what I mean? I can't be d- doing with this crap. But I, you know, I really sort of gave myself over to it. And then the, then you come back and the whole sort of final section is set set in Africa among these animals. And we just follow these animals kind of like wandering around and being looked after and the sort of people in the villages there. And it's really just like, it really is not like nothing you've ever seen before. And if you kind of go with it, it, it really, it really is interesting to watch. And I'm, you know, I'm not really a spiritual or religious person, but I... I kind of, I kind of dug what it was trying to do with the form, and you know, I, I don't know whether anybody will be able to see it, but it's, it, it, you know, if you do, just check it out because it's, it's, it's completely unique, I would say. ออกจากห่างไกลหนึ่งไปสู่ห่างไกลมาโลกเปิดกว้างสําหรับคนที่เปิดหับไฟนัวนัว
าไอ้จัวจะไปเส้มาเขาซอกจะเป็นทิศแล้วไอ้จัวถ้านอนในหนึ่งชั่วโมงเดียวนะข้อครอบใจจริงศักดิ์สิทธิ์ทางไล่สำหรับผมฟันเรื่องหลาวดีดีจะเกิดขึ้นเมื่อเห่านอนหลับต่อไปเจ้าจะเบิ่งแผ่นดินคนที่เจ้าหักสุสานของเจ้าและเจ้าจะคิดว่าค่อยจะเห็นเราได้เมื่อเสียชีวิตแล้วมันจะงดงามเพียงได้เมื่อได้ไปเกิดในห้างใหม่Cool. Yeah, I I remember you saying about that, and uh, it hasn't. I don't think it's popped up anywhere yet, so I haven't I haven't seen it anywhere. I'm, I'm I'm excited to to try and have that that similar experience. Um, I I saw my imaginary country at, at Cannes last year, um, and it was interesting because he had two. He had well, he had another film out last year, which was Cordillera of Dreams, which is much closer to Nostalgia for the Light and the Pearl Button. And it was interesting to to see a like you say a very different kind of Guzman film, where It's not a kind of long, long gestating kind of philosophical idea film, you know, like Cordillera Dreams is about the mountain range, and he's kind of yeah, doing yeah, similar yeah. things in terms of how he's linking sort of past and present Chile through landscape and through through time. Whereas, yeah, it, and, and that was kind of like what I, one of the things I really enjoyed about my imaginary country is because it's it is an old filmmaker just kind of picking up. A camera picking up a drone, going back home, and just seeing what the hell's going on. Like, yeah. you know, and there are those sort of nuggets of, of of ways of thinking which are uniquely him. But it is a very very different kind of experience, and I just love that. And again, because it's it's it, it that's his pro Chile is his project, you know. So something as as kind of substantial as yep. the as the 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 protests and the the kind of the writing of the the new constitution. Is going to be something he's obviously going to be deeply interested in, but it didn't feel false. It didn't feel like, oh, hey, I'm going to exploit this moment. It was like, of course, he's going to be there because he's been there for so much of sort of post Pinochet sort of um, accounting. Yeah, and it was almost as if he was giving his platform over as well, which I thought was nice. You know what I mean? It was like for sure. I, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually just going to be a facilitator here. This is not about my my vision in a way, which takes mm -hmm. a, quite a lot of. You know, an understanding of the self that he does have a role in Chile, but yet this this was somebody else's story, and, and even though it did have a voiceover, he was kind of like, you know, clear in that sense. I think in the voiceover and 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 sort of realizing he wasn't uh, he wasn't the avant garde anymore, which again takes a lot of sort of uh, self understanding. I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hopefully that comes to all of us with age, Dario. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's true. Well, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever been the avant-garde, so uh, there we go. I'm a mouth guard. That's what I. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm always on guard, though. Like, enough of these jokes. Never mind. Um, it's Christmas. Yeah, no, it's it's the time for crap jokes. You're right. <laughs> so, do you want to go? Do you want to go first? Do you want to? Do you want to talk us through? I mean, just to say before we start, I mean, you sent sent me your 
list. And actually, there was a couple of films that were would have been on my kind of like long list, as it were. So I've I've sort of adapted. Particularly one would definitely have been on my top three, but I've adapted. So I've got something to say about it, which is good. But I kind of adapted around around yours, which is is great because it means that that you know we're kind of agreeing on a couple of these of these films anyway. But but you go ahead. I'll probably go. Yeah, I'll probably go kind of chronologically in order of release then, or at least in terms of when I think they were released. Because one, because the the, the first one I'm going to talk about is the Swiss film Unrest, which is, it was a, I, you know, again, I read about it, heard about it last year at festivals, and it just sounded fantastic. And I, I, it was one of those films on podcasts that I just loved the way people talked about it. You know, people were just kind of blown away by its kind of simplicity and, you know, horrible word in terms of the context of the film but precision <laughs> which will become clear if one sort of mentioned the synopsis but um yeah but the you know people were just like wow this is a really interesting film so i was kind of like really keen to see it and then like so much no no real release for it and, and then it just popped up on movie this year um in the spring and yeah i literally it was you know one of those rare occasions like okay i'm gonna make this is a priority and I just thought it was absolutely, yeah, kind of stunning, really. Um, it's the story of watchmakers in Switzerland, the Swiss mountains. Um, I think it's in the 1920s, um, maybe the 1910s, 1920s. And it's a kind of collision of their sort of socialist anarchist awakening in terms of kind of global movements that sort of hit this town, particularly sort of Italian anarchism. Um and and Russian um, in sort of this kind of figure of Kropotkin um, who kind of is this sort of observer he's come to observe and sort of report uh, and sort of develop sort of communist ideas um, and also kind of a burgeoning capitalism where the it's a move from kind of a very simple small handmade um, kind of bespoke item to something which is more mass produced and has more you know so that's this kind of efficiencies are everywhere and they're, they're kind of trying to shave off seconds and everyone's judged on how many bits they can do a day and stuff and it's this really it's this collision but but what's so so interesting about it is how it's very quiet it's very slow it doesn't lean into a grandiose statement about this kind of war between ideas you know it's very much about a slow awakening um of of a people really who are kind of brought in to work in these factories from this village and slowly realize what what they're being asked to do and how they're being asked to do it and how they're sort of slowly being essentially dehumanized and turned into into cogs literally um you know with these with these kind of very very specific mundane roles and what was really wonderful was about that yeah that the 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 metaphor of the watches obviously is is and and the 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 sort of the, the the clock pieces is is kind of you know a little on the nose but very apt in terms of you know time is everywhere in this town you know everything's measured in terms of time and the slow realization that people's time is essentially being taken from them in these kind of really exploitative ways um and that they're being seen as units of time that's all they're being seen as um and how their kind of socialist imagination is awakened um it's just it's just it's a wonderful movie and it's 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 great because it's kind of under two hours um the performances are fantastic it's 
kind of yeah it's really smartly written it was it, when i when i watched it i was kind of what i loved about it as a screenwriter was like i felt like this had been so well researched in terms of the period and the people in that location and it wasn't an academic piece but it felt really really well observed and really well lived in and i just thought oh god i loved i just i again i love spending time in this place with these characters even though it's very much an ensemble piece and it's not about the kind of classic one person leads a revolution it's not all about that at all it's it's very much a kind of how how revolutionary movements can um emerge when yeah sort of the conditions are are sort of predisposed to it um and i just wish people had had, had, had seen it more and it had been pop, it popped up more because i think like this such a it's such a unique film in terms of its relationship to its subject and how it's put together um i just thought it was fantastic ah ouais dire je comprends toujours pas ce que vous faites exactement bah je produis la onlue c'est le cœur de la mort Dear friend, I have arrived in the Swiss Jura Mountains. The valley is, but no doubt, the capital point of the international anarchist rotation circle. La nation, c'est un fantôme. Une société anarchiste existe toujours. Puis en fait, c'était la première fois que les femmes aient gagné le même salaire comme les hommes. Après, ils se sont tous tués. Donc, on l'a pas tiré. Mettez la main à l'épaule. Vous lisez pas la presse anarchiste Grâce à leur réseau télégraphique, j'ai pu anticiper la crise et sauver des parts. Télé. Télé, Arrêtez, entrez pas dans les matchs sous peine. Alors, Potkin. Ah, ça me pète un beau. Quel est le motif de votre voyage? Im Grund zur Annahme, dass die vier erwähnten Arbeitskräfte Mitglieder dieser lokalen anarchistischen Assoziation sind. Gemäss ähm, Paragraph 3, Artikel 6 du Reglement actualisé, une telle adhésion entraîne un licenciement inconditionnel. Extra langsam gemacht. Qui eux sont provoqués par le par l'échappement? C'est le mouvement qui, qui revient et qui part et qui revient et qui part. Et des deux côtés, il y aura des impulses qui vont définir cette vitesse. Et en la crédit. Je pense. Je sais que vous avez vu ça aussi, n'est-ce pas? Yeah, I was just, it's funny actually, I've just literally pulled up the uh, the our webpage for the London Film Festival from last year. Um, and <laughs> there's uh, like, just to, to, I didn't even, I didn't even register, but that's where we interviewed Lawler and Malloy about the future tense. So, <laughs> you know, you can go back and yeah, listen to yeah, that, yeah, that interview yeah. just, to, just to plant that in, because I know obviously we didn't mention it before when we were talking about, talking about it, but 
there are several films on here on this list that have made it onto our end of year list this year. So it's funny how that that has taken place. Yeah, and those those films have remained. And Unrest was one of those. And I talked to Savina about it. It again, it was yeah, just one of the one of these things where you you're kind of like, this is this is clearly a concept film in some ways, but it's it it's so true to itself in that you know, that the, the mechanisms of time and the mechanisms of time in the, the content of the movie are mapped on so perfectly to the way the film is made. And, you know, there's those great shots of of the, the camera is just kind of still and the, the, the people are sort of measuring the distance from one place to another because they want to know exactly how long it will take a worker to get from one side of the town or one side of the town to the other across the mountain kind of thing. And they're arguing about which time which sort of time they're using because that's one of the funny things that they've got they've got like four variations of time and they've got to kind of figure out which, which one they're adhering to and yeah it's just it's just a sort of brilliant um un unsatirical sort of com you know meta commentary on the way that that time sort of dominates all of our lives and it's got yeah and 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 it, and, and it does build it, it does do that great thing of building a world that doesn't feel like it is a sort of period drama, you know, theatrical presentation in that in in that sense. It really it's quite literary, I think, in in some ways in that way. Um, mm. But yeah, and also the sort of underlying politics of it all is again not on not on the nose. I don't think it. it, it but you can see that that sort of sense of you know the exploitation and the use of time as an instrument to define what should. What, where people should be and what should they should be doing, and if they're outside of those time frameworks, then it's it's like criminalized, you know. It's yeah, it's it's really a fascinating, fascinating film. Mm. Yeah, that's a nice point about the kind of the meta commentary. I think that's really, really well, really well put. Um, yeah, and then how? Yeah, that, that I've, I remember that being about, yeah about the time they always use different time zones, and then there's like a there's a power outage, isn't it? So they they sort of, they become stranded in time yeah because no one knows what, what the time is or what time to follow yeah it's it's what time is yeah 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 so let's go with one of yours now yeah sure so again this one was one that i saw uh last year but has been released this year so this is laura poitras's compelling provocative and again talking about precision expertly constructed documentary all the beauty in the bloodshed um so this is about the the personal life, the artistic development and career, and then the political activism of photographer Nan Golden. So, you know, it, it, it kind of it moves around a little bit chronologically, but it in intercedes the story of of Golden's political activism with her development as a photographer and and you know, the early stages of her life and the sort of trauma of her family. So there is that sort of element of we're going to look at an artist's life part of it. Um, but it, it, it kind of starts off with, in twenty by, by sort of saying in 2014, Golden was prescribed OxyContin to deal with sort of pain in her wrist, really. So something quite, I think, quite minor. But almost sort of overnight, she became addicted. And following a difficult and you know more or less ongoing recovery which has meant she's had to take other drugs to try and get off oxycontin she began working with campaigners to try and get some kind of accountability from the sacklers who are you know i think most people will know now are the owners of purdue pharma 
the producers of OxyContin and basically, you know, the people who are sort of blamed for this regime of selling, upselling to doctors OxyContin, which has led to the opioid crisis in the United States, right? But the crossover is really clever and really interesting. I mean, it's obvious because it's just there that the um, the Sacklers are huge donators through the years. So so that them now, the ones that are around now, but the, their, their parents who obviously started the pharmacological kind of corporate corporate wing of where all their money comes from. Um, but they're huge donators to arts organizations across the world. So, you know, the Louvre, the Tate, um, Met Museum, Guggenheim, and the London Portrait Gal Gallery, National Portrait Gallery in London. And obviously, Goldin's work has become famous throughout the world, and she's got work in in many of these galleries. So as part of her activist strategy, which is kind of twofold, so so she works for this, this activist group called PAIN, the acronym you know escapes me right now but anyway that the, what they what they did was a lot of direct action against the galleries and museums so like for example just sort of throwing empty oxycontin bottles all over the place and prescriptions and stuff like that um and and, and sort of filming it as a, as a kind of performance art intervention but also leveraging the fact that she has works in these institutions of herself and the first one was with the the national portrait gallery where they were going to um, show a retrospective of her work but she said to them you know I'm not I, I don't want my work in here if you're going to accept this one million pound donation from the, the Sacklers which was in the in the process of being sort of accepted right um, so Poitras really expertly weaves together this portrait of the artist who's a, essentially a sort of punk photographer who arrived in the sort of 70s and 80s and you know, um, shot a lot of her personal experiences with the underground sort of subcultural uh, communities and, and, and sort of scenes that she was in, involved with. Um, you know, a lot of it is quite harrowing. You know, she was a sex worker. She was uh, friends with a lot of artists who, um, you know, again, were, were at the avant-garde and, and but, but, you know, sort of going into, into the 1980s, they, they were part of the sort of gay and trans subculture and obviously AIDS hit hard um, when that arrived. So there was a lot of sort of, a, a, a lot of, well, most of her photo photography is a sort of exploration of the self. And again, you know, a lot of it comes from the trauma of her early family years and uh, the sort of a lack of acceptance from her mother. Um, but it really demonstrates, the film is is great in, in sort of demonstrating this uncompromising and unflinching eye and and takes its its time to show these photo series so it's not as if there's just one photo that you know like is given all the kudos she she works in these kind of um photo series which the film does show at length and they're really effective and i think what it does also is it shows the idea of sort of of st still image series does can have a place in the, in the cinema auditorium if it's sort of positioned right it's not just a gallery thing i think you know you, you don't sort of lose lose interest in, in seeing these one films over another. Um, and, you know, the first one, the sort of, and, and probably maybe the most famous is the, the Ballad of Sexual Dependency, and which which ca captures these sort of really intimate moments, these sort of experiences of pain and sex and drug use and and the bonding of these of these characters on the outside. And, and then, you know, showing also, you know, 
without flinching, as I say, sort of domestic violence and the ravages of AIDS. Um, and its its aesthetic is definitely not nostalgic. It's almost anti-nostalgic view of the past, which is why they're so powerful, because it, it sits completely against that, that sort of nostalgic aesthetic that we see all the time in film today. Um, yeah, and, and just the end sequence is so infuriating with the, the two, they get the eventually, I mean, again, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, they, they, they get the Sacklers on a Zoom call sitting there and they've, they've had to settle and pay six billion, six billion dollars and they're still billionaires, you know. Um, and they sat there with their stony faces as the parents of the dead children described the details of their, of their loss. And it's as riveting and infuriating a scene as you get, um, you know, with these rich people who just couldn't care less. Um, but yeah, a great documentary, I think, that that is not is is a fascinating portrait of an artist, but also, you know, sort of politically really relevant. Photography is like a flash of euphoria and gave me a voice. Once I started sharing the work, it was really heavy resistance especially from male artists and gallerists who said, this isn't photography. Nobody photographs their own life. Dance, dance, dance. Talk, talk, talk. The photographer, Nan Golden, she's a major name in the art world. The work was incredibly political. Probably my whole life, the struggle to fight conformity and denial. There's the Sackler family of the art world, the museum world, and philanthropy. And then there's the big pharma marketing and addiction and death. My anger at the Sackler family, it's personal. When you think of the profit of people's pain, you can only be furious. Nan said, I think we should take these people down but do you think my career will implode? And I said, probably. We need to demand that the Met Museum delude the Tate, refuse donations from the Sacklers and take down their name. The rich people are scared that we're gonna dig into the evil way they made money. grow up being told that didn't happen. You didn't see that. How do you trust yourself? And so that's the reason I take pictures. This is a watershed moment. People are actually beginning to rethink how we do things. The wrong things are kept secret in society. And that destroys people. Cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've not seen it. Um, I did notice the other day, though, that Criterion are putting it out next year. So it's obviously already... All oh, right. That it's is. on BBC iPlayer, actually. Oh, is it? Oh, well, that's great. Okay. I'll watch that over Christmas yeah. then. Um, yeah, great. That's um, 
that's really good to know thank you yeah yeah um yeah it definitely feels like a film that is already you know considered a kind of high watermark of kind of contemporary political and personal filmmaking um um because i think golden was heavily in, involved wasn't she you know um in terms of it as a as, you know poetress has talked about it as a kind of collaborative work as much as, as yeah much yeah yeah it is yeah 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 so my next film is a is also about relationships and it's called The Eight Mountains uh, and it's by Felix van Groningen and Charlotte van der Meersch um, who made a film I really, really love called The Broken Circle Breakdown. I think it was like 2013, 2014. Yeah. Um, and this is the story of two uh, Italian boys um, who sort of see each other each summer um, after... They sort of, they sort of meet in the mountains. Um, there's I think it's so one of the boys is is kind of based in Turin, and each summer they go to this kind of little little sort of summer house, summer apartment that that his parents buy, uh, and he meets um, he meets a friend in the who who's based in them who lives in the mountains. Um, and it it's it's a story of friendship, a story of male friendship, and it's a it sort of spans uh, sort of two or three decades, and it's it's just an absolutely beautiful film like it really not um like i don't I, I don't really have a kind of intellectual take on it i just think it's it's so beautifully crafted and beautifully performed and it's just it's just a wonderful story like it's so you know a, the the reason i want to talk about it is i mean I, I loved it but also the so part of the story is that the 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 boy from Turin and I can't remember his name now I'm going to find his name because this is good job I'm editing this yeah <laughs> so uh, there's Pietro who's played when he's older by Luca Marinelli who was so brilliant in Martin Eden um, and when is that and Pietro um, when he's sort of a sort of late teenager sort of in his early twenties becomes estranged from his father. Um, and doesn't see his father for years, and then his father dies. Not not a spoiler. It happens reasonably early. It's a it's a long film, but reasonably early. And Pietro learns that he his father sort of bought this kind of plot of land with a really busted hut, um, old sort of stone hut uh, on the side of the mountain that where they used to visit. And his friend um, Bruno, um, this sort of Pietro's young friend Bruno, who's um, he learns that he'd had this relationship with his dad. You know, and they'd spent a lot of time together over the years, um, climbing mountains together. And Bruno is a is a kind of construction worker, an amazing builder who sort of has dreams of being a farmer. But the my favourite part of the film is, you know, Pietro is a kind of at this point quite a spoiled city dweller, very kind of full of rage and anger against his dad, kind of very wayward, no no real sort of plan or kind of direction in his life um and when he sort of finds this place he's like what am i going to do with it and bruno's sort of suggests that they build it together so they build this in honor of you know pietro's dad and sort of bruno's sort of surrogate dad so over the course of a summer um they they build this house on the side of a mountain and the film sort of slows down while they they build it and sort of that's where they sort of really reconnect from their young childhood days and sort of establish a friendship which is which then sort of spans across the rest of the film and 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 pietro slowly finds his way um and they keep returning to this this house on the mountain and you know 
so much happens in between um and 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 and, yeah, and, and their lives change and it's so it's so beautiful and moving but it's just that sequence where they're that sort of segment of the film where they're building the house is just it's just glorious really it slows down the where it's shot on the side of the mountain and it's just the you know the production value of 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 being able to get where they got as filmmakers is just is just absolutely glorious um you know like it's just it's such a pleasurable experience to spend time in this location and then of course what is always ever present is this kind of sublime aspect where you know bruno will not leave the mountains like he is a ma he's born in the mountains he's raised in the mountains he's from mountain stock and he's very proud of it and he's kind of angry at his dad and his granddad i think for kind of you know seeking work and a life that didn't involve the mountains and he wants to kind of return to that but of course as beautiful as this place is it's also incredibly ugly and inhospitable a lot of the times of the year and incredibly dangerous and that kind of hangs over in this really kind of you know kind of naturally ominous way of like this you know that sort of burke's idea of the sublime this kind of huge spectacle mm. of nature which yeah, sits yeah, yeah. there and is is so difficult to comprehend in terms of its actual power um and it's and it's something that kind of in, in, attracts pietro who kind of goes off and, and tries to climb uh who spends his life as a kind of, i think he's a travel writer it's unclear what he's writing but he becomes a writer and yeah it's just it's just an extraordinarily extraordinarily beautiful film to look at amazing performances um and does does this really wonderful thing in the middle of sort of having these two men build a house um and everything that the story kind of needs to to work is 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 in that sequence um i just yeah i just thought it was i thought it was a stunning stunning piece of storytelling um in that in that in that part in particular and then the rest of the film just always returns to this space which has been so beautifully crafted on screen for us as an audience it just works so well non pensavo di trovare un amico come bruno nella vita Né che l'amicizia fosse un luogo dove metti le tue radici e che resta ad aspettarti. Ciao Bruno. Ciao Pietro. Negli ultimi dieci anni con mio padre non ci ho mai parlato. Lo so. Mi parlava di me. Quando tuo papà l'ha vista ha voluto costruire una casa qua. Ha chiesto a me di costruirla. L'unica cosa che mi serve è El mano vale. You were Sarebbe stato contento di quello che stai facendo, Sarebbe Questo qua vive sulla cima delle montagne, no? Però i problemi di noi comuni mortali non li conosce mica. Vorrei aiutarlo. Non puoi aiutare uno che non vuole essere aiutato. Just a flash of light in the endless night and it's gone. Volevo trasformarmi, evolvere, partire. Guarda che c'è un mondo fuori da qui. Non 
Yeah, yeah, you know I loved it. I, I sort of uh, mentioned it, didn't I? And, yeah. Um, that it would be one for you, I thought. Um, but I, I kind of, when I talked about it with you, I paired it with the um, with Godland yeah. in, a, in a way, because I think that that sort of reflection of the relationship between the sort of man and the land kind mm-hmm. of thing, um, there was a sort of uh, interesting parallel there. But th- this is this is kind of almost sort of more, yeah, I mean the, the the use of the word sublime is good it because it, it it kind of taps into that 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 idea of you know we we're, we're all sort of minuscule in the grand scheme of things whether it's nature or the cosmos or anything without being and it never sort of goes into that in any sort of you know direct detail but this guy's just sort of like i am of the land stuff and i'm i'm meant to be here and everything else is sacrificed to that and he can't kind of fathom why everyone else isn't like that you know what i mean or or that that people are sort of seeking a sense of um seeking a sense of of the world in a in a much more in a much more constructed way do you know what i mean it's like you know you go off and be a travel writer or you know we've got to we've got even when he he gets married and and like has a kid and stuff like that and she's like we need to make a business out of this and it's got to work because we've got to feed our kids. You know that that sense of there's a there's a civilization aspect to all of our lives that and and he and he's like the ultimate. I'm just going to go live a, live in a cave, but yeah, yeah, you yeah. know this is a house on a mountain kind of thing, and I'll I'll deal with whatever comes and like I, I don't need electricity and stuff like that. And it's kind of like you know a sort of state of nature thing into the wild kind of aspect to him that that is really on the one hand kind of you got to respect it, but it's kind of you know, narcissistic and and unrealistic, I think, as well at the same at the same time, and 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 I think that that's where the where, where the sort of um, the tension in the relationship lies as well, isn't it? Because I think it feeds into that that idea of of what 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 the male role is, because they both sort of have this interesting relationship with his father and their own as well, and it's kind of like you know where where do I want to be? How do I position myself? How do I make how how do I know I've made the the right decisions? How do I know that my life is is meaningful? And and he just the the the, the sort of the, yeah the character from who is in love with them. I forget his name now. I know the other guy's Pietro. Is what, what's the Bruno. name? The guy who who's Bruno. Yeah, sorry. So yeah, Bruno is is kind of like solves that that conundrum by just being so ingrained in that sense of his his belonging. But I mean, hmm. he. There's there's sort of moments where you you don't know whether he actually believes that he's just performing it because it, it, what else is there? Do you know what I mean? But you know, you, it's it's just and like you say, you can intellectualize a film like this, but my God, you you know, you it's just it is a sort of mood film in that in that sense where you know it's the mountains and you're up in the you're up in this in in, in watching them sort of build this house and thinking, yeah, God. I'm stuck on Zoom calls all day long. Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of life? So it does have that kind of effect on you. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, great, a great film. Yeah, and there's that there's that sequence where Pietro brings some friends up from the city, and that there's this kind of real crystallization of the fact that the world has moved on, and Bruno's kind of snarky about their idea of like living in a place like that. Yeah. He's kind of like, but but the reality yeah. is, yeah, that, that they they do represent where the world has shifted to. Um, and it, they might have this kind of really bourgeois and, you know, kind of like 
expecting stuff to be flown in on a drone kind of experience um or idea of living somewhere like that but but the reality is yeah that bruno knows that that is the world and that he is not part of it and one of the reasons that he stays in the mountains is because he just knows he doesn't he can't fit in you know he can't make the shift the world has made the shift that he can't make then it kind of has this kind of sadness there um and is you know ultimately tragic because he, he can't he can never do that you know um and while they might be naive to what that place actually is um he's also he's not naive because yeah i think i think you're right i think he does know actually you know this is all i've got so i'm just gonna kind of i'm gonna go 100 percent yeah, on it yeah, yeah um which is yeah so yeah uh what's next for you yeah so again maybe there's some sort of connecting tissue here so uh, the my next film is past lives by celine song now um I'm going to talk about this with the realization this morning that this is the guardian's number one film as well so i'm kind of reticent to be so middle brow um but yeah i just saw i saw this at, at berlin and it's been it's kind of been my favorite film all year in a way and it, it's really weird to try and deconstruct why that why that is um which i'll try and do now <laughs> so it's set in three sections a sort of uh it starts off with these two characters, um, two two young kids, uh, Na Young and and Hai Sung, who are twelve year old classmates, and are kind of like you know they develop this sort of very sweet and innocent relationship. You know they want to have a a kind of play date, and at the beginning of the film, they're they're in this split. They're seen having this playground. They're, they you know they have a conversation with their parents. Oh, you know I like this boy and stuff like that. And the parents get together and they bring them to this playground and they're playing and stuff. And then it's revealed that the 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 parents of the of the girl um, are going to uh, emigrate to America. I think it's Canada first and then America. So th- th- this sort of first section kind of ends with a beautiful sequence of them sort of going off in different directions, one up some stairs and one down the street. And this it's filled with love, lovely, unpretentious sort of framings and cinematic moments in 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 this film. I think. Um, and then we move forward sort of 12 years later and they they pick up, they find each other through through social media, through Facebook. And and what's great about another thing that's sort of great about this movie is that, again, in each of the sections, they're, they're sort of 12 years apart and the movie just goes 12 years later twice. So in this middle section, it really sort of taps into that that moment, I think, a few years ago when there was a sort of almost a, a, a sort of innocence about um, what what. Um, the internet would allow us to do in terms of friendship and getting back in contact with each other and 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 we didn't really you know the, the sort of consequences of that when it first started nobody really could could think about what the internet would become and what social media would become it was just like oh yeah I'll get back in touch with so and so that I knew at, you know I knew back at school and it really does a great job of sort of showing them sort of rebuilding their relationship with each other across across time and across uh, you know he's still back in Seoul and she's in uh, she's in New York um, and they sort of build this back up and they're you know finding out about each other's lives and then they, they she comes to this realization that they're not going to be able to see each other you know for work reasons and for life reasons and and so she sort of breaks it off again and then sort of at this moment she meets the she meets um, a guy that she's an artist residence with, with she's a playwright right and she meets another artist played by John Mag uh, Magaro is it Mag, Mag- Magaro yeah John Magaro um yeah um and 
Then we move 12 years later again, and she's married to to this guy. And they've, you know, they've built a life together. They're both writers. They're both in New York. She's exactly where she's supposed to be. But for for it doesn't explain this. It ju- you just realize that the, the guy from Seoul is coming to visit New York, right? And, you know, all throughout this, there's these sort of conversations about the the, the relationship at different portions of of this this expansive time. And there's nothing particularly sort of, you know, like complex or sophisticated about about this but in the final sequence the guy comes to comes to visit and they have this sort of conversation as they go and and, and see the sights in New York and you know it's that typical thing she's she lives in New York and she's never been to the Statue of Liberty or or whatever you know and she takes him around and and what have you um and all the time it's kind of just building up and building up this sense of her thinking about her own identity her own koreanness there's a great sequence where she's sort of talking about it you know oh he's so korean and it's kind of like she's trying trying to figure out what she is in relationship to that um and then there's it also plays around really beautifully with its own sense of a, of it being a romantic drama there's this one scene where they're in bed together and he the husband sort of says you know you realize if this was a movie i'd be the evil character in here and he's going to come and visit and take you away and that would be the happy ending to the story. So it's kind of kind of knowing in that way, uh, which is great. And and it just builds and builds and builds to this ending. And again, spoiler, um, they, they they go out for dinner and they, they there's this really sort of awkward sequence where they're they're speaking to each other in Korean, and the the husband is sort of sitting on the side, completely out of this conversation. And we as an audience are privileged to hear what they're saying through the subtitles, but he doesn't. And what that does is it gives us a, a, a real empathy for his position, but also we're privy to their conversation about, you know, the 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 lives that they they didn't have. And and I think the last scene, she she sort of returns, she she drops him off, he takes an Uber back to the airport, and he's going to go back to Seoul, and she goes back to the husband and just bursts into tears, crying. And it's kind of like you think to yourself, what is she crying over? Because and and like it's really emotional, I think as well, because. She's already said she's where she's supposed to be. You know, she's not going to run away with him. But I think she's she's sort of crying over the the alternate life that she could have had. And I think, you know, it's just a brilliant way of showing that there's a thousand different lives that we could have had if we'd made different decisions. But she's she's because she's she's managed to be close to this alternate life. She could kind of see it in front of her. And she's sort of mourning it, you know, mourning this opportunity or this this completely parallel universe that she could have been in and she can see in front of her, but she isn't. And it it just really affects you, I think, because, you know, I've there's definitely one moment in, in my life or one sort of segment of my life, which if I'd have taken a certain decision, my life would have been completely different. And I just think it's so beautifully written and so beautifully done. There's no fat on there every scene contributes to this building of you know that this sort of reflection on what her life could have been if things had turned out different and it's just amazingly assured considering it's a it's a first feature there's a word in korean inyon it means providence or fate do you believe in that that's just something koreans say to seduce and life
What a good story this is. Childhood sweethearts who reconnect 20 years later and realize they were meant for each other. In the story, I would be the evil white American husband standing in the way of destiny. Shut up. There's just this kid in my head for such a long time. And I think he just missed him. Did he miss you? Hands up! the guy flew 13 hours to be here. I'm not going to tell you that you can't see him or something. If two strangers walk by each other on the street and their clothes accidentally brush, that means there have been 8,000 layers of imyeon between them. Want you to stay. Want you to stay. Mm. Sounds like that's the reason it's pretty much at the top of a lot of people's best of the year list. <laughs> You know, I've not heard I've not heard anyone have a bad word to say about this film. Yeah, funnily enough, I think it's on it's not on Science Sounds. Is it not? It's not it's not actually in the list at all. I think one of the one of the big ones, so it's in, it, it's interesting. What do they know? Maybe it's considered a little bit too sweet and you know, naive and in that in that sense, but yeah. Well, yeah, it sounds sounds great. Um and it has been on it's sort of been circling uh and I was try I was I because I knew you loved it and I was trying to see it before um, we taped, um, but I, I, I didn't get to it, so it's it's probably one I'll pick up on again if I get some time over the over the break. Yeah, because again, you've sold you've sold me on it again. Yeah, as you did before. Great. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's uh, get to our final ones. What have you got? What have you got next? So the last one is uh, Aki Kaurismäki's Fallen Leaves, which is just it's just a joy. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely joyous. It's a love story. It, it links to it, the Eight Mountains, I think, in the sense of the characters are, have no place in the world, really. They are kind of out of place. One, so it's the story of a um, a woman who uh, works in a supermarket um, and then works in a, she's kind of, yeah, just essentially kind of temp, temporary worker and a kind of alcoholic construction worker, a metal worker who kind of fall in love. Um, that's it, really. It's It's a move away from, the kind of the explicit engagement with the lives of migrants, you know, that's been a feature of, of Karis Mackie's last few films. And, and so, so two, two Finnish characters, um, still very much kind of on the fringes and, and out of, out of place in, 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 in the modern world. And the kind of the, the kind of political concern, the large political concern for Karis Mackie is to do with the, the war in Ukraine, obviously given sort of Finland's 
geographical proximity to that. But it, but he's, he's still just kind of effortless chronicler of working class life um, and and people who kind of yeah sort of sit outside those kind of privileged spheres of of, of you know kind of education and uh, and opportunity. But it's such a it's such a simple film. It's so beautifully told. The thing I wanted to sort of mention about it is is this thing that he does in this kind of in in a section of the film which is basically almost and again you know he's he's a kind of you know he's an he's an older filmmaker now and you know doesn't I'm not sure how many films he has left he doesn't travel and he he decides to sort of share his his cinephilia in in a variety of forms so they they finally get to go on a date and they go to the cinema and they watch Jim Jarmusch is the dead don't die and because obviously they're friends you get to see the you get it basically just cuts to a, a scene from the film and they're talking about it afterwards um and she's like you know uh come round you know come round for dinner here's my number he immediately loses the number like literally outside the cinema he immediately loses the number it blows away <laughs> and then he he's kind of bereft and he decides to go back every night and stand and wait outside the cinema and each time he's there we see a different set of posters um outside the cinema and it's basically it's uh Karis Mackie sharing sharing his cinephilia so in the foyer and on the outside there's there's Bresson there's Le Mepri there's uh Le Circle Rouge uh Fat City Point Blank Rocco and his brothers um a couple of chaplains so he's just basically saying here I am here's my here's my cinematic love and life over this kind of period of time and there's a big poster that there's there for a lot which is basically brief encounter and it's him saying like yeah i'm doing my version of brief encounter you know these people meet and then they can't meet again um for ages and it's like he kind of follows them on their on their life but it's it's so sweet and so smart at the same time and you know it's just it's almost like i read it as a kind of like almost like a reward you know for people who've spent a lot of time with this cinema and and read a lot about it and heard a lot of people talk about it in a way that's like oh it's doing all this kind of stuff and it's like it's almost like at the end yeah. he's sort of pulling back the curtain and being like this is this is what's this is what it's made of you know this is who I am as a filmmaker this is this journey that I've been on these are the films and filmmakers that have had real you know kind of influence and it was so interesting to see like the American cinema of like point blank and think, oh yeah, like color and composition and think of, like something like Fat City, which is a really, a really kind of, kind of empathetic portrait of, you know, working class, um, underclass life, you know, kind of like boxing as a way out of, of just, you know, of kind of destitution. Um, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, these things which are just felt in the cinema, he's kind of, lovingly revealing in this yeah. really beautiful part of the film and then they do reconnect and it kind of moves on into back into almost back into the story and i was like this just feels really knowing um and i don't know if it was that intentional but that's certainly what it felt like um and then of course just the rest of the film is just him you know it's just like he it's it's his unique synthesis of all of his influences and 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 he is a unique filmmaker um and to see a film as accomplished as this from a filmmaker who's been working that long was just it was just thrilling. I was like, wow, that's that's someone who knows exactly what they're doing, how to do it, um, and hasn't lost any of the any of the kind of potency over time. Like if anything, he's kind of in a in a really rich 
run of films like The Other Side of Hope and La Havre. You know, yeah, he's, yeah. he's kind of he's just he just seems to get better, um, which is so rare. Um, yeah, so that was that was my that was arguably my favourite moment in a cinema this year was just sitting there being like oh, look at all these film posters and, and feeling the connection to the filmmaker and it was it wasn't for show none of it was like oh here's a hip yeah. film it was like it was really thoughtful i thought um and just made just just kind of again just elevated it to, to this other place you know in a way that his films often do Tapasin sen pienemmän myöhemmin. Mentiin melkein naimisiin. Miksi te menneet? Nätti Likka. Hiljainen tosin. Hukkasin puhelinnumeron. Kieltämättä vähän haittaa. Saat kelvata, vaikka näytätkin heiveröseltä. En tiedä edes nimeäsi. Kerron ensi kerralla. Meillä se yeah unfortunately i haven't seen this one and i had like it, this is one of about four or five times this year when i've had a ticket for something and i didn't go because of whatever you know work and all this but it sounds like uh, as well that also that i mean you're always weary aren't you when there's a film about films that or a, that, that is knowingly kind of trying to riff off the idea of my cinema fits within a canon of of films uh, because when you know sometimes when tarantino it does it it's it's kind of like yeah i know someone nobody knows as much as me that's how it comes across do you know what i mean Whereas it, it sounds like it doesn't sort of it doesn't do that here, which I don't think Charismatic would anyway. And and yeah, it's one that I'll try and see at the cinema if I can when I when I get back from uh, from France, um, because I still do want to see it uh, see it in the auditorium sure. if I can. Um, but yeah, definitely one to uh, one to watch. Great, yeah, and it does this wonderful thing where after they come out of the Jarmouche film, it kind of it you know that they're if you know they're friends. And they've been friends for a long time it's kind of like oh that's a nice thing but then the characters kind of undermine that with the dialogue which is so funny um, right right so it just works beautifully yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you know don't take this don't take this too kind of seriously or kind of navel gazy like it's it, it works really well yeah, yeah. um so yeah what's your what's your final film to, to chat about before we head off into the new year so yeah i was thinking because because like i did have the eight mountains and unrest were, were in the conversation in my mind anyway but the the other thing that, that that happened was I was trying again to catch up with a few films that I hadn't seen, and that's always a problem. I think at the end of the year when you batch like four or five together, and you think, is any of them really going to affect you in any way when you do that? Because you try to get through them basically. Um, but my my last film is May December. I Todd Haynes, and it's not 
I, I just didn't expect to like it as much as I did. And because I saw it recently, was this is this a sort of recency bias thing? And Todd, Todd Haynes is is a I think is a is an excellent filmmaker, but he's not a filmmaker that I would just sort of put on a list of here are ten filmmakers whose movies kind of define my cinephilia. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, I think Carol's great, Velvet Goldmine. I think Dark Waters is underappreciated, but I think here he's kind of marrying the stuff that he do, he did early on in Safe with with the melodrama of Far From Heaven. And I think Julianne Moore is obviously the sort of pivotal point there in terms of the the working with her again. Um, but he brings in um, Natalie Portman as well, and she stars as a as a an actor herself who's researching the story of Julianne Moore's character, who is Gracie Atherton Yo, um, who, and the reason she's an interesting character is because in, in 1992, she was caught having sex with a 13-year-old boy called Joe Yu, who was a schoolmate of her son. And she did this in the pet shop where they both worked, essentially. Um, so she was sent to prison. And while in prison, she gave birth to his son, now, cut to 23 years later, she's actually married to him and they have three children. So this obviously provides source for Portman's character who comes into this environment and this this sort of, uh, you know, community, let's say. Because obviously every her presence in this community, everybody knows who she is, everybody knows the story. And... So everything kind of revolves around the vortex of this woman and what she's done and this relationship with this boy, essentially, who's now 30, 34. And interestingly, the, the, it, and, and it, it's kind of like a key point that, that the husband is is the same age as Portman's character. So there's this, there, there is a sort of kind of free son of a connection between those two because they're of a similar age. Um, and interestingly i mean i talked at the beginning of the episode about you know we haven't sort of paid attention to to the sort of twitter discourse but it's funny how there was a there was a whole sort of argument online about the relationship between camp and melodrama i mean only only film buffs kind of argue online and call each other out about what the difference between camp and melodrama is right but um the argument was sort of has haynes created here a straight melodrama um that has been misinterpreted as ironic and campy by viewers who can't deal with the emotional shifts. I mean, and again, I don't think it was... A, it, the film as a whole isn't emotionally overwrought. It's just that the central character is, you know, wavers between these massive mood swings and is completely, you know, obviously a sort of traumatized character in and of herself. Um, and, and, you know, there's this sort of question of, you know... Are contemporary viewers um, less interested in really being empathetic to the human suffering that they see on screen? So they, so they, the defense mechanism of contemporary viewers is that they call everything postmodern and ironic because it, it means they don't have to fail, face the emotionality that they're confronted with in, a, in say, a straight, straight melodrama, which is essentially saying, my God, everything's so emotional, you know what I mean? So... Um, but like I say, I think that there is this, there is this sort of underlying suburban restraint where, you know, everything is performed by all the characters in some in some. It's like the worst, the worst aspects of Christmas get-togethers where you have to pretend to be civil to each other, you know, when really you don't want to be, you know. 
Um, and all the all the all the sort of barbs and all the sort of questions, they are all implied and gestural. You know, everything kind of slightly means some uh, something else. And the, and the, the scenes between Portman and Moore are great for that because clearly here are here are actors who are playing characters who are playing other characters who are then kind of making you know subtle signals to each other about their own egos and stuff like that. So it's a really heavyweight clash of you know acting chops in that sense so it's great to watch for for that that regard because they're both pretenders and they're both manipulators in their own ways you know and there's this great bathroom scene in a restaurant where they're both talking to each other but they're you know doing fixing their faces in the mirror and obviously at the same time staring straight into camera as well so it becomes very very sort of theatrical in that in that way um and the cutting remarks are done as almost as if there's a knowing that there's an audience out there watching this, you know. And Portman's character sort of takes her method approach mm. to the point where the 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 ethics of what's got, gone on in the film, you know, between the boy and, and, and the woman back in the day, because obviously it's a big ethical question. It, it throws another spanner in the kind of moral vortex of the film. Um but it leads us to this point where Joe, the husband, starts to confront the fact that this life that he has with this woman may be built on the fact that he was actually a victim. You know what I mean? Because he doesn't see himself as the victim and she she doesn't see herself as, as mm. the victim. And Portman coming in kind of confront makes them confront this idea that he was just a 13-year-old boy. How could he have had any agency? Whereas she, she, she in her illusion, sort of thinks that he... Yeah. He was the one who led her, who seduced her kind of thing. So it's a complicated, uncomfortable film. And any comedy any comedy in it for me is kind of sly and troubling. And, I, I, and therefore I can kind of understand why sort of younger, you know, movie watchers with their trigger-happy righteousness can't think of it in this sort of self-reflective way and, and put it down to sort of it being comedically camp you know what i mean to take it in that light sense but i think it's worth i'm going to go back and watch it again because i think it's one of those films that is has got a lot in it and you need a second and a third watch to to get that out of it but it was it was in that in that sort of period of the end of the year where you're trying to sort of see things that you haven't seen it stood out by a mile as being you know really in depth a really in-depth piece of piece of work how do you choose your roles I want to find a character that's difficult to, on the surface, understand. Were they born or were they made? It's such a pleasure to meet you. You are so sweet. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for doing this. It's so generous. Well, I want you to tell the story, right? Don't I? Since we're taller, you look taller on television, but we're basically the same size. I'm basically the same feel like things just settled down and now y'all are making a movie. It's a very complex and human story. I think it's hard to trust that you're going to represent Gracie as she wants. I'm going to try. Do you remember when you first met? He came to the pet store looking for a job. A summer after sixth grade? Seven. Why do you want to play me? When they sent me the script, I thought, here is a woman with a lot more terror than I remember from the tabloid. What would make a 36-year-old woman have an affair with a seventh grader? 
people, they like see me as a victim of humanity. They already have an idea of what it must have felt like. What? Sneaking around with you. Why would you want to play someone who you think is a bad person? It's the long gray areas that are interesting. She's getting on my last nerve. She does everywhere I look. Why can't we talk about it? If we're really as in love as we say we are? Insecure people are very dangerous, aren't they? Guys, let's get a Hello. Crazy. Great. Um, yeah, it's 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 one of my most want to watch um of films that are out this that have been out this year that I haven't seen. So um I thought it was a Netflix release. Um, I think it might be at some point. It's, you were saying it was on Sky. Um, yeah, I think it is coming there. Yeah, it's just not. It yeah. wasn't uh, in time, but I'll definitely be seeing that when it when it lands. Well, I think uh, I think that was a pretty good, in depth, heartfelt roundup of some great movies. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that again. It was. It's a funny one. It hasn't been. It, it... I don't want to say it's not been a good year because again I don't want to do that positioning of you know where is film kind of kind of thing you know we, we, everybody else that does that and I think just sort of letting the films speak for themselves has been has been good fun and and yeah the the uh, I'm looking forward to seeing um some of the stuff I think that, that that's coming up very soon and and sort of getting getting on into that but I feel like you know um I don't know maybe I've talked to you about this before I've been a little bit sort of in and out with 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 stuff this year in in regards to watching yeah um maybe that will be reinvigorated over the next few months of the year when you won't have this bi-monthly ritual to concern yourself with so <laughs> uh, spoiler alert for our our listeners yeah yeah spoiler alert yeah i'm going to take a little break i think that you know, we've been doing this from 2015, every single, you know, season, tw two seasons a year. We do take our summer break, but I just feel that, you know, th this season has been more tricky for me with work. I found it hard, harder to get, get up for the organization of it and, and, you know, the watching of the films in the sense of how does this all feed in? And I don't want to feel like that about, about the show. Uh, it's not fair to you. It's not fair to people who tune in and stuff like that, you know. And it's not as if I've been pretending, you know. It's the stuff that I've talked about. I've wanted to talk about, but I, I am, I am quite tired, and I, I feel like I need to sort of, almost sort of fall in love with film again. And and part of it is, is to do with just sort of negotiating my time, and and I feel like, like, and I need to just sort of focus on work and then have downtime, and not have like five other things. You know that's that's after work on the on on the side, um, and I'm trying to get various projects kind of to fruition and finish, and then and then sort of reevaluate, you know, kind of what what I want to do going going forward, really. Yeah, uh, it worked. It worked. It worked well for me. You know, I was really grateful to be able to take a break, um, and and to have you sort of steer the ship while I was gone, and it, it certainly 
yeah, I feel like my podcasting has benefited from from that break, and I feel in a, still feel in a much different place um, having, since coming back. So, yeah, I I, I appreciate that need, um, and yeah, you will be you'll be greatly missed. Uh, it won't be the same without you, but I'll do my best to um, deliver deliver an acceptable level of quality uh, that befits your legacy in your absence until you come back. Yeah, well, I mean, just to say there is one, I do have to do a second episode of um, the Demons of the Mind uh, for that that research project. So I, I don't know when that will come, but what I'll probably do is just, I'll make that and then drop it to you. We can have a quick catch up and chat on it. And then that, that will go out because obviously we uh, I'd agreed to do that as part of... Uh, being involved with that that project so there is one one of those episodes to to come but i'm actually to be honest with you i'm quite looking forward to seeing what you do do you know what i mean because i think it's quite nice as well to sort of have a little bit of free reign to 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 take it and not have to sort of think about uh you know um what about neil what does he have to do and stuff like that and it's not as if you know that that, that i wanted that in in some senses but it just meant that oh okay so you know what? What am I going to do? Was the question I was asking myself. You know what I mean. So I'm quite interested to hear, or you know, hear the podcast and 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 your your sort of more autonomy now to sort of take it and 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 do whatever you want really. Because I'm not going to you know say anything about it. I'm just going to listen and say, oh yeah, that was interesting. That was good. You know, cool. Well, yeah. Um, I'm looking for. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, in that sense of of it was really enjoyable to be a listener. Um, when I did it, you know, um, enjoyed your enjoyed your take on it. Um. And hopefully, hopefully you'll enjoy mine. I've got some ideas. I've got some things out. So yeah, uh, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be back, um, as Arnie would say, um, at the beginning of February mm-hmm. with an episode. Um, but for now, yeah, this is, this is the end of uh, of our twenty twenty three. Great, and it's been great to con- continue working with you, Neil. Thanks to everybody who's who's contributed to the podcast. Obviously, people come on for free and give up their time, which we're always grateful of. Uh, thanks to the Patreon subscribers for their continued support as well. It really does kind of help because it, it, it is, it, it's been going up as well, the amount of money we have to spend on the platforms to keep things going. So uh, we do appreciate um, anybody who spends a, a few quid every month just to help us out with that. And, you know, I think that the the space for the newsletter as well, there's always interesting stuff on there. We always get good feedback on on the work that we do on the with, with the bonus material that you can get if you if you do subscribe. Yep, uh, and I'll be I'll be doing that as well. Um, I'll probably do a little a little one at the end of the month just to, to kind of to tie people over um, and sort of head you know set set us up for the new year. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll I look forward to I look forward to yeah you coming back on, but also you know seeing what you do uh, in that break over the next six months. Um, but for now, yeah, thank you everyone uh, for your continued support. This has been 2023 on the Cinematologist podcast. Thanks for listening.